Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for part three of a series that I'm doing on the miracles of the American Revolution. I'm highlighting just a handful of some of the most notable moments in the American Revolution where the hand of God intervening on behalf of the early colonists and of on behalf of George Washington and the Continental Army is almost unmistakable. And my opinion is that one of the primary reasons why American history was no longer taught after God was kicked out of the public school system beginning in the 1960s is that you simply cannot do American history justice. You can't do it in a way that is coherent, that follows an uninterrupted storyline without passing through and talking about some events that you cannot call anything but miraculous. So if you can't talk about God, you can't talk about the American Revolution because God is the author of it. He was there every step of the way, and he stepped in many, many times to either lend additional support when, by all accounts, the American army was too weak, or to completely rescue leaders and the army from the results of bad decisions and simple inexperience. You have to remember that George Washington, yes, had fought in the French and Indian War more than a decade before the American Revolution, but he was not privileged to attend the military academies that many of his peers in the French and Indian War um, attended. And I, I say his peers, they weren't his peers. In the social strata of that time, he was, you know, from backwater America. And the officers that he served under were the British elite. So he was still, even then, considered a second-class citizen. So he was not formally educated in military matters. And even during his experience in the French and Indian War, he did have significant leadership experience there. But it was still um, his progress and his ability to climb and advance and learn was hindered by the fact that he was a second-rate citizen. He was not part of the British elite. So in many cases, and the miracle that we're going to talk about today is a good example of God stepping in and helping fix the results of inexperience and bad decisions on the part of a man who was willing to lay it all on the line for his country and for future generations, who did so humbly, who did so faithfully, and who shouldered a responsibility that would have probably crushed most normal men. And most notably, he knew and was humble enough to recognize his own inadequacy. So throughout his tenure as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, he's continuously directing his own focus and his own reliance towards God and trying desperately to get his troops to do the same thing, to not slack in their daily devotions, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to live moral lives in, in an environment that normally invites debauchery. Washington refused to let up on that, refused to, to allow such behavior to become commonplace because he knew 
that um, without God's help, this whole endeavor for freedom and liberty and establishing America as a new nation was doomed without the help of providence. So now continuing on from where we left off last week, through a number of miraculous events, the American Continental Army succeeded in expelling um, the British from Boston. I should say they succeeded... (laughs) God succeeded with a little bit of help from the Continental Army in expelling the British from Boston. Uh, If you didn't listen to the last two weeks, I recommend pausing now and going and listening from the beginning of this series with part one so that you're not jumping into the middle of the story here, because there is kind of a continuous thread that, that binds all these together. So going back to that, the British leave Boston, and this was not a sign of complete surrender. To the Americans, the fact that they were victorious in this campaign galvanized much of the country into believing that perhaps it was possible for America to gain its independence from Great Britain. There were many that doubted it before this time, but seeing um, the American forces victorious over British regulars in this way uh, did went a long way towards giving the the early colonies the courage that they needed to go ahead and declare their independence. So if you remember, the British leave this whole um, episode comes to its culmination in March of 1776, four months before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and and like I said, the Americans saw this as hope hope that they could actually be successful in becoming their own nation. The British, however, looked at this very differently. The miracles that came together to drive them out of Boston to the British would have been seen as inconveniences or bad luck. And so they decided this time to to cut their losses, leave the disease-ridden Boston to the American colonists, and go set up shop at a place that was more advantageous. In Boston Harbor, they did have, the British Navy had access to the harbor and could bring troops into Boston, but the surrounding land uh, was not as conducive to allowing the British to really gain a foothold. And this was evidenced by the fact that when they did try to launch out and attack by land, they were pushed back by untrained militia at Lexington and Concord. So they needed a new base of operations. And not to mention the fact that Boston is kind of where this revolutionary fervor was born. Um, The British were not popular uh, to the vast majority of Bostonians living there at the time. So the British set their sights instead on New York. Number one, there were many who were still loyal to the British crown there. This was the social and the commercial hub of the American colonies. And trade with Britain for American-made goods was incredibly profitable. And Great Britain at the time was the social center of the world. So in a city that uh, saw itself as socially advanced, access to Great Britain and and everything that came with the um, social circles of Great Britain would have been very appealing to many of the wealthy New York merchants and socialites. Besides that, New York had a number of features that favored the composition of the British war machine. 
So to kind of paint this picture, I want to I want to kind of lay out for you how New York City is situated for those who are not from the East Coast like myself. Uh, this may not be topography that you're particularly familiar with, but in the interest of kind of setting the landscape for this next miracle and this next battle that we're going to talk about, I think this will be helpful. So first of all, New York City is on the tip of a peninsula that juts out from the mainland from the northeast and goes kind of from the northeast where it attaches to the mainland and juts out to the southwest. Uh, Over the north end of that peninsula is the Hudson River, which almost bisects the state of New York. So this is a major waterway that the British would have access to. And then along the south end of that peninsula where New York City is found is a little river called the East River. So across the East River to the south and east of this peninsula where New York City is located is Long Island. And directly across from the city of New York City is the town of Brooklyn. So this is where we get the Brooklyn Bridge, right? It connects New York City, goes across the East River, and connects to Brooklyn. This is what made that such a big deal. This allowed for traffic to easily pass, foot traffic and automobile and horse and carriage traffic to pass across the East River without having to rely on a ferry. Well, the Brooklyn Bridge hadn't been built yet, hadn't even been conceived yet. So the island of Long Island truly was an island. Now, granted, it's a massive island. And where beyond and to the east of where it kind of abuts and comes up near to the peninsula where New York City is, it it juts out into the ocean for many, many miles. It's a large island, a little bit bigger in landmass than Rhode Island itself. Um, but that's kind of how this is situated. So you've got Manhattan Island, which is a peninsula that juts out from the northeast to the southwest, Hudson River going along the northern end, East River along the southern end, in between New York City, Manhattan Island, and Long Island to the south. All right, so with that in mind, you can kind of see how with all of this water surrounding New York, um, this really favored the British war machine because the British had one thing that the Americans did not. It had a navy. And the the early colonists had no navy to speak of. They ended up, over the course of the war, developing some, um, you know, some small merchant ships that were retrofitted with guns that could kind of go do guerrilla warfare type attacks on British ships. But the British dominated the, the seas. And this was well known to Washington. This is well known to everybody. And this is one of the main reasons why the British next set their sights on New York City, uh, because there was so much water. It was completely surrounded by water. New York, the peninsula of New York, Long Island, and this was the perfect staging ground that the British could use to then push themselves further in um, inland and onto the mainland as they were ready to do so. It gave them lots of flexibility. Washington, knowing that the British would realize all of these things, the the loyalty that many of the residents of New York City still felt toward the crown, as well as the, the topography favoring the British naval power, Washington guessed that this is where they were going. In this case, he guessed correctly. And so he left Boston immediately. Again, this was March that the, that the British left, and he arrived in and around New York City in April of 1776. So he truly wasted no time 
in getting himself there. After the American forces arrived, Howe's forces showed up. So they had left in all their ships. Those ships showed up on the horizon not long afterwards. And over the course of the next few months, um, General Howe was joined by even more ships and even more troops that had been sent over from Great Britain. And by the time uh, the British were ready to launch their attack on New York, they had amassed a staggering 400 ships in total, 70 of which were huge warships, each with 50 guns or more, and boasted an army of about 30,000 armed, equipped, and healthy, fresh, ready-to-go troops. Their plan was, once they controlled the water in and around New York, it would, ju- it would be easy to deploy those 30,000 troops to expel the ragtag American colonial army with Washington at its head from New York. And if they were lucky, they would manage to trap the army on those islands and on that peninsula and end the American Revolution once and for all. That was really the goal. But at a minimum, they should have no problem uh, getting Washington out and taking control of this um, this city that really meant so much to the Americans. So not only would it be a strategic win, but would deal a huge emotional blow to the Americans who were in relatively high spirits after successfully kicking the British out of Boston. So finally, on August 27th, the British commenced their attack, and most of the fighting occurred on Long Island. General Washington knew that if the British got control of Long Island, it would be that much easier for them to jump across the East River and take control of New York. This time around, the Americans didn't fare nearly as well as they had at Boston. In fact, they were completely clobbered by the British. The American casualties on Long Island were many times that of the British. When the British regulars showed up and started their advances and started their charges, many of the American troops threw down their weapons and just ran out of sheer terror. And at the end of all of this, we end up with the the vast majority of the Continental Army in Brooklyn Heights, directly across the river from directly across the East River from New York City, trapped and hemmed in by a superior British force. Superior in terms of numbers, training, everything imaginable. They were trapped, they were in a pickle, they're pushed up against the river, and there's nowhere to run, nothing that they can do. And you can just imagine these American troops, after having witnessed the the brutality of some of the uh, the British commanders and how they were just mowing down um, the colonists, even in the act of begging for surrender, begging for quarter, um, those pleas being ignored and just being massacred. Um, you can imagine the terror that these troops must have felt knowing that they were trapped, being able to look across that river and see New York City to see safety, but not be able to reach it. Not only that, but they also knew that the only way over there was by ferry. There were too many of them to get them all over there by night. And even if they were to attempt to do this by night, the British controlled the waterways. So 
you know, they either sit there in Brooklyn Heights and wait for the army to come and finish them off, or they risk um, setting themselves up as target practice for the British ships. Both of these were terrible options. Well, General Washington finally decided that it was time to attempt something, to, to attempt some sort of an escape. So he decides to try and transport his troops across the East River to New York, better to risk that than to face certain death um, by trying to stand up against the enormous army that the British had amassed on Long Island. So when night fell, Washington began loading his men onto, onto ships. Now they kept uh, kind of a skeleton crew continuing to shoot cannon over at the British lines to kind of put up the appearance of mounting some sort of a defense. They kept some of those troops back to keep the fires going and to make noise like you would typically hear at a camp at nighttime as people are starting to bed down. Uh, so they they tried to make it look like this camp was still there and was not planning on going anywhere while the rest of them began loading up onto boats to, to cross the East River, knowing that there was a very good chance many of them if it wouldn't make it or that all of them might be blasted out of the water. Fortunately, though, at about this time, as they began crossing, a north wind came in that pushed the British troops away and out of the East River. It made them very difficult for them to maintain their positions. This also made it a little bit difficult for Washington and his troops to ferry themselves across. But just after nine o'clock, the wind shifted and began blowing west. So remember, they're trying to cross northwest across this river, and this westerly wind helped to start propelling them across. So throughout most of the night, the wind is kind of keeping the, the British at bay and also helping the Americans to cross. But time was running out. There were still many troops left to be transported um, as dawn approached. And so the historian David McCullough explained what happened next in this way. He said, Troops in substantial number had still to be evacuated, and at the rate things were going, it appeared day would dawn before everyone was safely removed. But again, the elements interceded, this time in the form of pea soup fog. It was called, by many different people, a peculiar providential occurrence, manifestly providential, very favorable to the design an unusual fog, a friendly fog, an American fog. So very dense was the atmosphere, remembers Benjamin Talmadge, that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. And as the daylight came, the fog held, covering the entire operation no less than had the night. While over on the New York side of the river, there was no fog at all. So just in the place where fog was needed to obscure and obfuscate the movements of the American troops, a fog descended to give them that extra cover that they needed. Eventually, everyone made it across. Washington himself was the last man to board because he wanted to make sure that everyone had made it off. And they, they managed this entire feat, getting the entire army across without a single casualty and without the British being any the wiser for what had happened. Then less than half an hour after the evacuation had been completed, the fog lifted and the Americans could look over and see on the other side of the river back in uh, on Long Island, which they had just vacated, 
the bewildered British troops as they moved into this American camp that they had assumed that was fully staffed, but seemed almost miraculously to have been instantaneously deserted. Now, this wasn't the end. Um, General Howe realized the situation that he was in. He thought he had Washington's army trapped. This was the end of the American Revolution. So he quickly deployed his troops in New York City in an attempt to try and cut off General Washington's retreat, which he may well have succeeded in doing if not for a fire that had been started that swept through and destroyed much of New York, giving Washington just the time that he needed to slip out, make his way off of the peninsula and onto the mainland where he could um, effectively run away from the British troops. Now we're going to leave this story here, um, and we'll pick up we'll pick up where this story leaves off next week. But before talking about the significance of this miracle, I I I want to I want to ask if you would to take a moment if you found anything of value as you've been listening to this podcast or if you've been uh, watching this on YouTube, please rate the podcast. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the Abide in Liberty channel and give this video a thumbs up. There are uh, satanic forces that are trying to get us to forget the the role that God played in founding this nation and blessing us with the freedoms that we enjoy. And this is one small way that you can help um, share these messages with an entire population of people that probably have never heard them before. So what I like about this particular episode, this is my favorite miracle of the American Revolution. In Boston, this was a miracle where the plan was well-conceived. The Americans were just simply ill-equipped to deal with the hand that they had been dealt. So through a miraculous, several miraculous events, God interceded. There were cannon that were made available. The weather came in to help and, and you know Washington was able to get the high ground again under the cover of some suspicious weather activity. But the 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 Battle of New York was of a different kind entirely. This wasn't simply an American inadequacy thing. I in most historians will look at this episode as evidence of Washington's inexperience. This was not a winnable campaign for him. It completely favored the the British. Um it turned out that it was not as important strategically to Washington as he thought that it was. He he kind of was just obsessed with this idea that if we could hold New York, that will that will allow us to win the war. And it simply ended up not being true. This city was also full of British sympathizers, so Washington wasn't going to get a whole lot of help from this place. And as we've talked about already, already this favors a British naval force that the Americans simply had no way of matching. Even had they been able to maintain the land, they would have been under constant bombardment by these massive ships of war. So what I like about this and what I love about Washington in this is it shows his own imperfection. And I see, I got to be careful because he's someone that I aspire to be like. But when you see these episodes of failure and of imperfection, I see a lot of myself in that, where I I want so badly to do what God wants me to do with my life that sometimes in my zeal, I go about it the wrong way. 
or I try too hard and I try to force then my agenda on God. And I, I simply, I make mistakes, right? I'm trying to do my best, but I will mess up. Absolutely. So this miracle is not a strengthening miracle for victory. This wasn't stepping in and making up the difference so that Washington could win the day. This instead is a miracle of rescuing him from his own mistakes, from his own poor judgment. For me, this is a parable of the atonement. This is the whole reason why Christ came in the first place, because we are imperfect. We will make mistakes in our personal lives, but also in our efforts to to follow God, to be virtuous, and to fulfill the mission that he gives us. And in this case, in all likelihood, this was a mistake to even try to hold New York. But despite our mistakes, when we're doing our best, when we are relying on God, when we are giving our all to be righteous and to follow where he leads and to do what he wants us to do, even though we will mess up, he can step in and fix it. He does that when we sin. He does that when we make just boneheaded mistakes. He does that all the time. This is probably one of the most common, but also one of the most important miracles because this is the whole reason why Christ came. And I personally am so grateful for forgiveness. I am so grateful for a God who will not rub my mistakes in my face that won't just say, well, sorry, you really messed that one up. I guess you're all dead, which he could have done in the case of Washington. But no, he sees the efforts that we make. He sees us doing our best and he will step in and help fix what we mess up. That's true on a national scale. That's true on a personal scale. That's true in our families as the things that we do and say hurt those around us or in our friends or in our work relationships. He can step in and fix it if we rely on him. I am so grateful that we don't have to be perfect to do great things for our Heavenly Father. God can and will rescue us from misery of our own making. And that's it for today. Make sure and join next week, and we'll pick up this story right where we left off. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.